Thank you to all of the musicians this morning for leading us, and it's been great to, uh, to share together. In a moment, I'm going to read from Micah, the sixth chapter, verses 6, 7, and 8. Uh, as the screen indicates, a reminder that we're in this sermon series, Resetting Life's Compass, uh, working at those things, paying attention to those things that would set us on a healthy direction, a, a, a godly direction, a life changing and life-saving direction, and uh, this morning we're going to explore that just a little bit more, and I'm going to read from Micah chapter 6, verses 6 and following in just a moment. I want to begin, though, by offering a prayer as we bow together and as we're in God's presence and as we simply uh, wait in God's presence in some silence, and then I'll voice a prayer on our behalf. Lord, you you have invited us, Lord, to uh, be still and know that you are God, to wait in your presence. And we know that waiting is difficult. And some of us are waiting for some very important things. You know our hearts. We pray that you'll fill our lives with patience. We pray that you'll help us when we worship you and when we pray and when we walk with you to be willing to have the courage to unburden our hearts to pour out everything at the foot of the cross, and to trust you with our lives. We pray for those who are struggling today with illness, with relationships, with job and financial pressures, with personal concerns that perhaps they can't even share with someone else. But you are God, and you're the healer, and you're the blesser. So we pray that today, in a special way, you'd pour out grace on each of us, Pour out grace upon this congregation, upon this nation, upon this world, that we might know your, your touch and your anointing, that there might be spiritual renewal within our hearts, that you might guide us with your wisdom to be faithful in all things. Bless our church, the upward basketball and cheer and all of the ways that we reach out in the community, all of our mission partners today. For the men and women in armed forces, that you would care for them and protect them. For places of conflict, particularly for our partners in Ukraine as they struggle to uh, find stability there. Dear God, we pray that you would superintend your world today and, and care in a special way. So God, we offer our praise to you. We adore you and love you. And we thank you for what you've given us through Jesus Christ. And we pray that through his power... As our lives are changed, we'll become more aware of what you want us to be, and we will become less of what we've been. By your Holy Spirit now, speak through me to each of us that we might grow and glorify the name of Christ and share his love. This is our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen. Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Uh, probably one of the most premier Bible passages in certainly all of the Old Testament and certainly also in all of Scripture. Would you stand as I read these aloud? Micah 6, 6, 7, and 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? 
Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The word of the Lord for us. May he bless it. You may be seated. Resetting life's compass has to be about more than just our private, individual lives. Resetting life's compass has to be about more than just our personal habits and lifestyles. It has to be corporate. It has to be communal. It has to be national. It has to be society-wide because uh, we're an aggregate. We, we, we never live alone. We're aggregates. And uh, we don't have the privilege of getting right with God and working on our personal compass of life direction and going off with God and living on an island by ourselves. We are called to a social holiness. And uh, we never want self-improvement to degenerate into selfish improvement to where it's just about us because it's about others too. Now, this gets really tricky and really complicated because we live in a culture that is so interconnected. Economies are interconnected and and social patterns of behavior are interconnected. There's this web, this network of being that is is so entangled in our world today that we actually uh, don't always intend to be a part of a system that's evil or wrong. We don't... uh, We don't start out wanting to be a part of a system that harms others, but without realizing it, we get caught up in this web, we get carried away by consumerism, we get sort of infected by the virus of culture, and we become a part of the problem without even realizing it. And speaking of consumerism, on Super Bowl Sunday, it it bears mentioning that a 30-second ad on today's Super Bowl uh, telecast 30-second ad sells for $3.8 million. And I looked it up on the last 10 years, the last 10 Super Bowls. You know what advertisers, uh, uh, merchants, sponsors have spent on advertising for the Super Bowl the last 10 years? $1.85 billion. And you can't help but think what that might do to feed hungry people or to house homeless people, or to fix some of the systems that are wrong in our world today. And by the way, speaking of advertising, there's this great quip by uh, G.K. Chesterton. Uh, He lived in another day, and I I love this. He said, it is really not so repulsive to see the poor asking for money as to see the rich asking for money, and advertisement is the rich asking for money. You ever think about that? Commercials are the rich asking for more money. And uh, we say, oh, it's just so, it's so off-putting to see a poor person out at the intersection begging. Well, is it any better to see rich people begging? Another way to think about this whole social dilemma is to think about how uh, the social ills today are nothing more than individual selfishness all sort of just clumping and sticking together so that there is a social selfishness that, that sort of, uh, without realizing it, because we're this web of relationships, it all just sort of hangs together to make a conspiracy 
that hurts many, many people. Um, last summer, we had major storm damage to our house. A summer storm came through, ripped the roof off of our house. The rain poured in in the middle of the night. All of the insulation had to be replaced. All the furniture moved out. Drywall had to be replaced. Repainting of the house. At the time, you know, it was just horrendous, just terribly unsettling. But I hasten to add, it's nothing like hurricanes or tornadoes or tsunamis. But for us, it was a, it was a big deal. And I remember thinking while we were going through all of that, that resettling and, and uh, that, that confusing time, you know, I'm going to pray more seriously when I read about tsunamis and tornadoes and uh, floods and natural disasters. I'm going to think more intentionally about giving to those people who are hurting. I'm going to take time when I read something online or in the newspaper about those kind of disasters and, and really be with those people in their pain because I, I got just a minor taste of it. Well, that lasted for about a month. And then it was right back to reading something about some disaster or flood. Oh, that's really too bad. And then on what's on the sports page? Because there's, there's sort of a motto in our American culture. We don't like to admit it, but there's a motto in our culture that says, if it's not happening to me, it's not happening. If I'm not personally experiencing the pain, then it must not matter. We, we never say those with real words, but in our behavior, we do. So there is this social selfishness. In fact, you could define social injustice as selfishness gone viral. Social injustice is selfishness that has gone viral. It is just spread out into the network of all of our relationships. Now, Micah the prophet understood that. Besides the scripture that I read to you a moment ago, Micah had some things to say in his time about that kind of social selfishness. Uh, in Micah 6, 10 through 13, do you expect me to... He's speaking for God now. Do you expect me to overlook obscene wealth you've piled up by cheating and fraud? Do you think I'll tolerate shady deals and shifty scheming? I'm tired of the violent rich bullying their way. And then in 7.3, he says, They've all become experts in evil. Corrupt leaders demand bribes. The powerful rich make sure they get what they want. And on and on. That's just a sampling of what's in Micah and his, and his comments about this social selfishness that, that just sort of infects an entire culture. If you really want to figure out if the social compass needs to be re reset morally, just ask yourself this. In that culture, is, are the little things made big and the big things made little? Are the important matters treated as if they're trivial? And are the trivial matters treated as if they're important? Another example, and I'm picking on the NFL today, but that's just the way it goes. You've heard about Deflategate, the scandal about the underinflated football supposedly in the AFC championship game a couple of weeks ago. The cry that went out, it's unfair. It's unfair, and it is. And I want to go on record as saying that I think that professional sports ought to set a standard of integrity, if for no other reason than because of all the young people that follow it, besides the fact that fair is fair. But I also want to hasten to say, do you think an underinflated football 
is the most unfair thing that's going on in our world today. But look how much press is given to that. And look hard and see if you can find an article in your favorite news feed about Nigeria and the Boko Haram who are slaughtering children and innocents. 90,000 Christians have been displaced in Nigeria. See, the big things are made small and the small things are made big. That's when you know that the social compass needs to be reset. And in our own community and region, the homelessness, the hunger, the embedded racism, the racial tensions that are everywhere, those are real issues. But nobody wants to talk about those things. We want to talk about an underinflated football being unfair. Talk to the children of Nigeria about what's unfair. Talk to some hungry child this week at school who didn't have breakfast about what's unfair. We watched Downton Abbey, and we shake our heads at the 1930s British system of, of privilege, that because you're born uh, in the Crawley family, you live upstairs with all of this, with all of this comfort. And if you're born to a to a servant class, you live downstairs waiting on them. And we shake our heads and laugh at such a culture that would, that would have value so skewed that, that uh, we just can't understand. And we can't even see the embedded privilege that exists in our own system. We go see the movie Selma. And we go away saying, how could those people be so filled with hate that they would deny voting rights? How could they call people those names? How could they take sticks and beat those people? How could they, how could they be so blind to the prejudice and bigotry uh, that they're living out? And, and then you have to walk away and think, 50 years from now, what movies are they going to make about us? And about the ways that we without maybe intending to, neglected and mistreated other people. It's always easier to see in some other time or some other culture. And so in the midst of this, we hear Micah's words. To do justice to love mercy or kindness, to walk humbly with our God. And notice, they're all verbs. He's speaking for God now. The verses 6 and 7 were the people asking the question, how do we please God? How, what is religious? What is spiritual? How do we reset our moral compass? The people are asking the question. In verse 8, Micah speaks for God and he, he uses verbs, do justice, love mercy or kindness, walk humbly with God. And he uses verbs because when you follow Jesus, it's never enough to stand and stare. When you follow Jesus, it's never enough to stand and look on the, the, the struggle and have pity. 
That's not what the Jesus way is about. It's not about standing and staring. It's about doing something. That's why Micah used verbs. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with God. And the resetting of the moral compass socially always begins with an understanding of the infinite value and worth of every single human being on the face of the earth. The infinite value and worth of every single human being on the face of the earth. That's what's embedded in that. Do justice. Love kindness and mercy. Walk humbly with God. And let's just camp for a moment on that last phrase, to walk humbly. It's a journey. We don't get there all at once. The pace varies, sometimes fast, sometimes slow. But we walk with our God. And we walk humbly. Self-sufficiency won't get it. We have to acknowledge that we need God. We need God's help with, with huge problems in our, in our society. And only God can help us with those struggles. Walk humbly with God. We don't walk without God. And we don't try to do these things for God. We do them with God. God's with us. His power is with us to make a difference in this world. His power is with us to let his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He's with us. And then notice one other thing. In the scripture, it says, walk humbly with your God. Micah wants us to know that it's not a God, not the God impersonally, but to walk humbly with your God. It all comes down to a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the place we begin in setting the compass. Then we let it make a difference in all of our social web of relationships, a personal relationship with Christ. And by the way, that Christ is the one who overturned the tables in the temple. And you know why he did it? Because they were charging exorbitant exchange rates to use the right money in the temple. They were charging interest and exorbitant rates. They were gouging the people. This is the Jesus who took on the corrupt Roman government. This is the Jesus who took on a corrupt church of his day. That Jesus is the Jesus who comes to live in us to give us courage to make a difference in this world. That's the Jesus that calls us to follow him and to change things that aren't right. That's the Jesus that comes to live inside so that we can see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven.